This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. The last time I preached, I mentioned that I sometimes begin with a joke, but then went on to give you a Greek lesson because I couldn't think of an appropriate joke to tell you on the topic. I did think today I might get a show of hands as to who would like to learn another couple of Greek words or who would prefer a joke. I'm not going to do that though because I thought better of it. I think I probably know what the answer would be but I made the decision anyway. A joke this time. Sorry for all those who want to learn a couple more Greek words. So a Sunday school teacher was explaining to the children in her class about worship and about being in church. She asked them, and why is it important to be quiet during the minister's sermon? One bright little girl put up a hand and replied, because people are sleeping. <laughs> I hope that's not the case today. My topic is forgive one another. That joke doesn't really have anything to do with the topic unless you fall asleep and I need to forgive you or if you need to forgive me for such a lame joke. <laughs> Thank you, Georgia. <laughs> so how are you going with the one another's? Uh, putting them into practice, I mean. Some are easier than others, aren't they? Um, encourage one another. Now, that's not too hard to do, at least from time to time. But some are a little bit harder. You finding that? Like serve one another and love one another. They can be difficult at times. Even being hospitable to one another, which sort of sounds relatively easy, doesn't it? can be difficult and costly, as Ian pointed out to us last Sunday morning. I did a little self-reflection during the week in preparation for this sermon. My reflection was how I'm going with those one another's. And I had this fleeting thought. Uh, I won't tell you how many times uh, it fleeted but it did the thought was I'm doing just fine it's the others that are the problem not not I um, shouldn't be pointing but others <laughs> and what I came to is that I think I need to listen carefully to Johnny's sermon next week which is be humble towards one another and I need to apply my own sermon this morning on forgiving. Can I get you now to do a little self-reflection for a moment? What do you do when someone discourages you and puts you down rather than encouraging you? What do you do when someone uses you rather than serves you? or doesn't love you the way that they should love you? What do you do when someone excludes you or ignores you rather than being hospitable? 
what do you do if it's even worse? Are you able to forgive? Can you let it go and move on? On September the 2nd, 2019, there it is. I didn't even need to press the button. Thanks, David. James Todd was sentenced for the rape and murder of 22-year-old Eurydice Dixon in a Melbourne park 14 months earlier. The judge said it was a brutal murder without mercy and in the most serious category of murder offences. And so he sentenced him accordingly, a life sentence with a non-parole period of 35 years. This is what Jeremy Dixon... Uh, the father of the murdered woman set outside the court. I remember seeing this and reading it and it left a deep impression. What I wish for James Todd and what I believe Eurydice would wish is that he gets better and realises what he's done. I extend my sympathies, my sincere sympathy for those who love him. It's a terrible tragedy all round. Eurydice herself should be remembered as her friends will remember her for her wit, her courage and for her kindness, not for her death. There was someone who could forgive. I'd like to suggest five reasons why we should practice forgiveness. First of all, because God's word says to. There are many verses I could point to or quote, but let me just draw attention to one of them from today's reading. Colossians 3, the first part of verse 13. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. That's pretty clear and pretty straightforward. I don't think I need to elaborate. Secondly, Jesus, secondly, Jesus said um, that we need to forgive. Again, just one example, Matthew 18, 21 to 22. Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive a brother or sister who sins against him. As many as seven times, he asked Jesus. Jesus says no. 77 times. Now that's a lot of forgiving, isn't it? Several translations actually have 70 times 7 times, which is a whole lot more forgiving. On the cross just before his death, Jesus exemplified his teaching on forgiveness, praying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Before I tell you the third should come up if I press this button, is that right, David? Not working. There? No, I might have to get you to do it. Thanks. Okay, so before I give you my third reason for forgiving, having have a look at these two verses. What do they have in common 
apart from telling us to forgive one another. Colossians 3.13, from today's passage, I quoted the first part of the verse earlier, bear with one another and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Did you pick it up? Well, the third point there is that we are to forgive one another because God has forgiven us. No, still not working. Ah, there you go. Thanks, David. I might have to get you to do the clicking from now on. Another place where this message comes through loud and clear is in one of the parables of Jesus. It's often called the parable of the unforgiving servant. It comes just after that conversation that I read to you a moment ago uh, with Peter about forgiving many, many, many times. In the parable, the king ordered one of his servants to pay back the large, the enormous amount of money that he'd borrowed. When the servant begs for mercy, the king forgives him the debt. But that same man goes to a fellow servant who demands that he pay back the relatively small amount that he owes him. And when he can't, the servant throws his fellow servant into prison. When the king finds out, he is outraged and says to the first servant, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? A parable with the application again, very clear for us. The fourth reason for why we should forgive is for well-being and wholeness. Holding on to a grudge and fostering bitterness brings the opposite of well-being and wholeness. It costs too much not to forgive. I reckon harbouring an unforgiving spirit is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Or it's like the little boy sitting on a park bench in obvious pain. A man uh, walking by asks him what's wrong. And the young boy says, I'm sitting on a wasp. The man urgently said, then why don't you get up? And the boy replied, because I figure I'm hurting it more than it's hurting me. Here's a quote worth thinking about. You can hold on to anger and forgiveness, but ultimately it will consume you. Uh, that's in the next slide there, David, thanks. Ultimately, it will consume you. The emotion is natural, but to allow the emotion to control your thoughts, your mind, your being, your reaction to other people is wrong. It's from a half an hour YouTube video that you can look up uh, on forgiveness by a guy called Stephen Ross. 
He was 15 years old when he was seriously injured in the notorious IRA bombing on Remembrance Day in 1987. When he was dragged from the rubble and taken to hospital, uh, two teams of surgeons worked on him for several hours, one reconstructing his face and the other trying to put all the broken bones in his leg back in place. He wasn't expected to survive, but he did. He wasn't expected to forgive, but he did. Lewis Smedes, in his book, Forgive and Forget, makes a similar point. I'm not that keen on the title of the book, but I like this quote. Vengeance is a passion to get even. It is a hot desire to give back as much pain as someone gave you. An eye for an eye, fairness. The problem with revenge is that it never gets what it wants. It never evens the score. Fairness never comes. The, the chain reaction set off by every act of vengeance always takes its unhindered course. It ties both the injured and the injurer to an escalator of pain. Both are stuck on the escalator as long as parity is demanded and the escalator never stops, never lets anyone off. One more quote to drive home this point. This is about the positives of forgiveness. It's by Stephanie Dowrick from Forgiveness and Other Acts of Love. I do actually like that title. You will, however, feel it in your body. Something, very nearly a thing, has left you. You are no longer carrying the load you were. You have put it down. The muscular tensions that you had come to assume were normal are eased. You are less vulnerable to infection or to far more serious illness. Your immune system lifts. Your face muscles let down. Food tastes better. The world looks better. Depression radically diminishes. You are more available to other people and a great deal more available to yourself. Yet you think about yourself less and less anxiously. And the fifth and last reason I'm suggesting that we should forgive is because it may lead to reconciliation. A beautiful biblical example is Jesus forgiving Peter after Peter had denied him three times on that night before the crucifixion. After Jesus' resurrection, as you know, Peter gets the opportunity to declare his love for Jesus and they are reconciled and Peter is commissioned. Here's another example. I wanted to uh, give you a few examples this morning so you can see that forgiveness is doable and hopefully be inspired and encouraged. The picture on the left is a crop version of a famous or infamous photo really taken in 1972 during the Vietnam War. The young girl in the middle is Kim Phuc. She's running down the road in agony after having stripped off her clothes that had been ignited by a napalm bomb dropped on her village. She collapsed just after the photo. The photographer poured water from the canteen over her burns and drove her to Saigon Hospital. She wasn't expected to live, but 
was discharged 14 months later after extensive treatment and many, many, many operations. That's also her in the photo on the right. The man is Jim Plummer, who unexpectedly heard her speak at a Vietnam veterans reunion. Afterwards, he went to her and told her that he was the army officer who set up the airstrike and that he'd been racked with guilt ever since. Some doubt hangs over his version of events and his motives, but what I want to focus on is Kim Fuchs' response. She forgave him and that led to reconciliation as depicted in the photo. In an article in the Wall Street Journal on the 21st of December 2017, Kim Fuchs wrote, My faith in Jesus is what has enabled me to forgive those who had wronged me, no matter how severe those wrongs were. The big question about forgiveness, and it may be one you're thinking about even now, is whether we still have to forgive if the person who has wronged us isn't sorry or isn't willing to change. I believe we are to forgive anyway for all the reasons I've just outlined. I talked about this with my ministry supervisor and with an experienced counsellor during the week. Um, both may be watching, so thank you guys for, um, uh, for the chat, for the help and for the material that you emailed. Both emphasise the important distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness may lead to reconciliation and may be considered as a necessary part of reconciliation, but they are not the same. Forgiveness is a very personal matter that can be done unilaterally, but reconciliation requires at least two. Obviously, reconciliation, for example, is no longer possible if the person who has wronged is no longer alive. But healthy reconciliation is not possible either when someone is not willing to own their wrongdoing, commit to change and demonstrate that change. Continued domestic violence or abuse are examples. Forgiveness then doesn't mean that we overlook or condone wrongful behaviour, sin, to use the biblical term for that. It doesn't mean that we minimise injustice. And it doesn't mean that we stop seeking accountability and responsibility, judgment, restitution and restorative justice. In, uh, I, um, this is a late addition to my sermon, so there's not a, um, these words aren't up on a slide, but let me give you the illustration anyway. In November 1990, as the long struggle for freedom in South Africa was reaching its climax, a group of black and white spiritual leaders from uh, the churches across the country uh, met in a hotel outside of a little town called Rustenburg. Some of the leaders represented people who had been wounded and wronged, uh, black people who had been wounded and wronged by apartheid. Others represented the people who had been so horribly... Um, uh, uh, who had so horribly committed... Uh, the, the terrible acts of injustice. So these men and women came together in answer to two questions. Could the blacks ever forgive? 
And could blacks and whites ever be truly united as brothers and sisters in that country? Lewis Smedes writes about this in another of his books, The Art of Forgiving. Desmond Tutu, spiritual leader for many in South Africa, answered for the wounded and the wrong. He gave his answer in a straightforward speech called, We Forgive You. Forgive, yes, said Tutu. The victims of injustice and oppression must ever be ready to forgive. But could there ever be a continuing coming together? And in answer to that question, Desmond Tutu said this, Those who have wronged us must be ready to make what amends they can. If I have stolen your pen, I can't really be contrite when I say, please forgive me, if at the same time I still keep your pen. If I am truly repentant, then I will demonstrate that genuine repentance by returning your pen. Then reunion, which is always costly, will happen. It can't happen just by saying, let bygones be bygones. We can forgive him if he keeps the pen. We should not be his friend unless he gives it back. So how is it possible to forgive, especially if we've been badly wronged and deeply hurt? I want to give you three quick pointers from today's reading. First of all, put on the right clothes. Uh, from verses 12 to 14, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Bear with one another and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Forgiveness is such a difficult process that we need supernatural help from the Holy Spirit. Note how similar the virtues mentioned are to the fruit of the Spirit. Clothing ourselves in them is not just instantaneous, neither is forgiveness. It too is a process. The Spirit develops these qualities, these virtues in our lives and that helps us with the whole process of forgiving. Secondly, embrace the peace of Christ and the word of Christ. Verses 15 and 16 of our passage. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Christ is the Prince of Peace and the Champion of Reconciliation. As we give our lives over to Christ or let his peace rule and his word indwell, as it's expressed here, then shalom within and shalom between becomes the divine reality. Thirdly, develop an attitude of gratitude verses 15 to 17 of our passage and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in the one body and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teach and admonish one another 
in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In three successive verses there, we are told to be thankful or grateful. I don't think it's a coincidence that they follow so soon after the injunction to forgive one another. This is the antidote to resentment and to bitterness. Instead of focusing on the wrong that someone may have done to you, focus on the many ways God has blessed you and worship God accordingly. This will transform you. I'd like to give you one more example of forgiveness before I close. And this is via a YouTube clip this time. Would you stand with me now and say the Lord's Prayer with me? And you can remain standing after this for our final song. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.